Hello and welcome to another episode of the TechBomb podcast. My guest today is Tommy Walker, founder of The Content Studio, which is a content marketing agency for high-growth B2B SaaS startups and Fortune 1000 enterprises. Tommy has consulted with companies like GoDaddy, Twitch, LinkedIn, and others in the past. And prior to founding The Content Studio, Tommy was the global editor-in-chief at QuickBooks, the first marketing hire at Shopify Plus, and lead editor at ConversionXL. Today, Tommy and I talk about Spotify. At the last Investor Day, Spotify presented six bets that should catapult growth to the company in the future. However, three of those bets were unknown. In this episode, Tommy and I talk about what bets would make sense for Spotify to grow further in the future and what risks might be ahead. If you like this episode, rate it five stars wherever you listen to the podcast and enjoy my conversation today with Tommy Walker about Spotify. Three, two, one. Tommy Walker, welcome to TechBound. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. This is, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be a lot of fun. So am I, so am I. Uh, as always, I'm going to start with a little bit of context, introducing uh, the company today and the research. So obviously the company is Spotify. Uh, they gave a very interesting investor presentation this year where they introduced the three big pillars that the company stands on and three potential big bets for the future that should accelerate revenue and overall company growth. And so this episode is all about brainstorming how Spotify could tap into these three big bets that are still unknown and what those could be. But I want to actually start with some basics about the company. Obviously, Spotify was founded by Daniel Ek. Um, it was founded in 2006. And it has a market cap of $16.96 billion, almost $17 billion today. Pretty massive. In 2021, revenue was actually $11.4 billion, which at the time already grew by over 27% year over year. And it basically made up half of the total market size, uh, which is pretty, pretty hefty. The thing is that gross profit in 2021 was only $3 billion, so um, still pretty, pretty decent, but operating income was a little over $110 million, which in essence means that Spotify is operating with very thin margins, um, in mm -hmm. part due to um, uh, operating expenses, but also simply because music licensing means that you have to share a lot of the profits with the music labels. And this will be a recurring theme that we'll come back to throughout this episode in uh, Q3, Q3 of uh, 2022. Uh, so the most latest uh, earnings. Uh, Spotify shared that they have 456 million monthly active users, which is up 20% year over year, and 195 million subscribers, which is also up 13% year over year, which given that a lot of big tech platforms actually had very disappointing results, this is actually um, pretty solid. When we look at how the company makes money, um, they have two tiers. One is a premium tier, for which, is, which are subscriptions, and then the free tier, which is supported by advertising. And advertising monthly active users were actually up by almost 25% year-over-year, while premium was up 22% year-over-year. Um, year. So pretty solid growth all around. However, however, the company still lost over 228 million euros in Q3. So not profitable. Um, and in their earnings, they cite um, headcount cost and um, currency fluctuations as the reasons for that. But, you know, it it's also seems like that the, the, um, the profits from music are, are just, you know, very low, as we mentioned before. The company aims to be the world's creator platform 
which is very interesting and will be a second thread throughout this whole episode and has um has started with music stream but then pivoted into podcasting and most lately audiobooks as well there is something, something interesting about audiobooks is that they're sold at a, as a, at a sorry at a retail price uh so a lot of people suggested including myself that um there might be an option for spotify to to provide audiobooks at one subscription price maybe an additional pricing tier and we look at podcast uh turns out that um uh, spotify already has 4.7 million podcasts at the end of q3 of this year so a lot of podcasts a lot more than i suspected quick look at the market before we jump into some ideas um the global music streaming market in 2021 had a size of 24 um billion dollars so pretty hefty grows at a um, compound annual growth rate of 13 percent and is is uh, estimated to at 27 billion in um in 2022 we look at the competitive landscape um we already mentioned that spotify owns the majority of the market when it comes to music streaming actually uh, Spotify owns 31% of the market. Amazon Music owns 13%, YouTube Music 8%, and Apple Music 15%. So Apple Music is still the biggest competitor when it comes to music streaming. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see if Amazon will be able to catch up, especially since they most recently announced that they will uh, weave in Amazon Music together with the Prime subscription, which could drive additional drive uh, uh, subscribers or listeners lastly uh some challenges uh, some of which you already mentioned number one is that the podcast bet uh is still a wild card it's still unclear if podcasts will be um a uh, you know will drive sub substantial uh revenue and profits for the company and i already mentioned the the razor thin margins on music streaming so Shopify, uh, sorry spotify has to find new revenue streams and this is a perfect bridge to uh, the first idea, and as always, I'll uh, leave um, the, um, uh, the the guest uh, to go first. Tommy, what's your first idea? Yeah, I think the one that we both kind of agreed on when we were talking about this earlier is uh, Patreon has basically validated an entire model that Spotify can very easily uh, rip. I was doing the research on it, and I found that, let me just pull my notes up here, uh, that on Patreon, there are currently only five or 15,530 musicians, and that makes up 7.36% of the creator base. And on average, music has $1.18 million in monthly payouts, so 4.95% of that. And there are also 16,000 uh, plus podcasters on Patreon, and they're paying out $3.54 million a month, or 14.8% of their entire monthly payouts are going to that. When you compare that to Spotify, Spotify has 8 million artists, right? And the majority of those are going to be musicians and podcasters because that's what they've uh, done. So if we look at even 1% of the Spotify uh, creator base going over, you've more than doubled what Patreon already has. And it's already a built-in thing. The, 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 the model uh, has been established, but you've also got a built-in listener base. And the interesting part about that, when I started thinking about this a little bit more, was that with um, Patreon, every single person, if you're looking at YouTube or podcast or whatever, everyone's like, oh, go check out our Patreon to support us over here. With Spotify, if you have that built-in, then nobody has to go anywhere else. And it makes, I think that makes it a lot more enticing, both for 
the creator, but also for the the fan because now I don't have to manage my relationships in multiple places at the same time. The other part of that, which I was really just thinking about, is that it gives Spotify this really solid opportunity to rebuild some reputation with their uh, with their creator base. Right, Spotify has become notorious for you know, paying out because of the razor thin margins, paying out very little to their uh, musicians. In fact, it was, or to their artists in general, I think it's less than a thousand people or so are making like a good, you know, portion of money. And having sort of this Patreon model baked into the platform itself, I think that would allow for some reputation management. Um, Even though people don't really have too much of a choice, that doesn't mean that they have to dislike the choices that they have. So... I love that. No, I, I love how you weave that into the company's vision to be the world's uh, creator platform. And um, I also like how that will foster more engagement between the creator and their listeners. So do you envision this idea that creators would have a more expansive profile on Spotify and would be able to maybe share some exclusive content with their audience as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's sort of like what you know, if we're looking at another platform that's done this and done it really well is YouTube, right? A lot of the YouTube creators, I don't hear anything negative from YouTube creators about YouTube itself, except when they change the algorithm up or whatever. But like, for the most part, creators and YouTube have a really great relationship with each other. And uh, with YouTube Premium, right, there are opportunities for those private relationships and things like that to happen. I think if you build that in, Spotify just takes a page right out of that book and says, okay, we're going to do what YouTube's doing, but for, you know, musicians and podcasters specifically, yeah, I think you're going to have a much better exclusive uh, relationship with those people. And yeah, I mean, how easy, would, how easy would it be or how difficult would it be to just, you know, have a gate inside your app, you know, fans only. Yeah. I, I, only fans only. Fans only. Yeah, we can okay, different platform altogether. <laughs> only fans. But yeah. Uh, no, it's a, I think it's a really good thought because I totally agree that the key to getting creators on your platform is revenue share, right? Just making it easier for them to, to make money. And another interesting thought that came up when you described that idea is that um, a lot of artists on Spotify are backed by labels, but what about the artists that are not backed by labels? Could that be a way to get more artists on Spotify and at the same time, uh, open up a new revenue stream for artists that is that is out, that lives outside the labels. Oh, for sure. I mean, and there's you know, for eight million creators, that's a lot of artists back people. But I, I can't remember the stat. I, I wish I had it open right now, but actually, I might. Where a good majority of the people uh, are are still not signed, but we don't know about them because you know we're only seeing the surface. But a lot of what you know, Patreon does for people, right, is these audiences that they're building, usually on other platforms, they're bringing them over there. So, like, how can we, you know, encourage... I'm kind of take a step back here on this for a second, Kevin, because I'm trying to f- formulate my thought on this overall, but... Sure. I was just talking with somebody the other day, and they said that podcasts and music platforms like Spotify are really good for people who already know who you are. Platforms like YouTube are more of a discovery type platform, right? And I'm going to kind of keep going back and forth to YouTube and Spotify on this because if you are able to 
build that audience through whatever channel and you can direct them to that one place, that's where you start to see, I think, a little bit more of the compounding effects of what we're talking about here, I think, if any of that even makes sense at all. It does make a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. I think, you know, um, and I totally remember that there was a lot of criticism um, on Spotify's product around discoverability. Some feedback that I heard from, you know, people who I know, which might, might not be represented for all listeners, but some feedback was that, hey, whenever I'm on Spotify, I kind of get wrapped up in the same echo chamber from a music perspective. And yeah. I, I keep kind of very similar ideas being presented by the recommender, but uh, I'm actually looking for, you know, completely new things. And I think that is translatable not just to the style of music you're listening to, but also to the artists or the categories. And I think that's a really important point, right? YouTube has an amazing recommender. It is really good at suggesting new videos and new content so good so that it's actually a very sticky platform. And I think there is a lot that Spotify yeah. could do to help with that. And I wonder, in, in line with your idea, if, um, if that would make it so much easier for creators who might not be signed or backed by a labor, label to, uh, to make a living. I would hope so. I mean, and the, the thing I was just noticing, because I'm like, I try to observe my behavior, especially when it comes to stuff like this, when we have these types of conversations. But I'm thinking to myself, like, I open up my Spotify app and I don't even scroll down, right, beyond what's just right here. And it makes me wonder, like, is that real estate even being used the best? And if that's the case, right, then how else can you use this real estate to be a better discoverability? And I think whatever we talk about next, because we've, you know, I mentioned here before, like, you know, let's get into events and stuff like that. Whatever they do next, I think it's going to have a fun, like, the interface on the very first open on the, on the, on the app itself is going to be one of the things that has to change in order to surface any of that because I'm looking at this and I'm like well, six seven eight I can see eight different things and that's it right absolutely so there's got to be an opportunity there no doubt no doubt yes speaking of surfaces my first idea was about search of course uh, as somebody who comes who has a strong SEO background when I heard about audiobooks or read about audiobooks my first thought was okay they can probably leverage SEO as one strong channel to sell more audiobooks in essence, the idea is to create programmatic landing pages for audiobooks to rank in organic search. And since Spotify has started with an offering of 300,000 audiobook titles, I think they have, a, they have a legit opportunity here. Just for context, Audible, which is owned by Amazon, actually has 760,000 titles. So that comes down to uh, quick math, um, about two, two and a half times more than Spotify. Yeah. Uh, but as it often is with uh, with SEO, if Spotify has the most important audiobooks on their platform, they could still make up a huge chunk of search traffic that, that Audible already has. I want to talk about pricing in just a second. Uh, we already mentioned that audiobooks come at the retail price and there might be an opportunity to do something different. But um, when we look at the biggest competitors from an SEO perspective to audiobooks, um, the leader is actually not Audible, it's actually Script. So Script has over has almost 20 million monthly visitors from SEO uh, compared to Audible, which has a little bit more than five. So Script has pretty much four times more. And then the, the distant third is Kobo, which is owned by Rakuten. Uh, and they have 2.4 million uh, monthly visitors from organic search, which is half of Audible. So you see that there's a massive kind of power curve with Script owning the market. Uh, but... Yeah. I did a little bit of math um, and I, I figured out that if Spotify can reach about 
the roughly the level of Audible, which I think is, is very much possible, they could get 50,000 audiobook sales a month if we assume a 1% conversion rate, um, that would mean 600,000 audiobook sales a year. And uh, if we figure out that, or if we if you calculate that the average audiobook costs about $20, um, and users listen to 10 audiobooks a year, that would be about 120 million euros in revenue a year. Uh, and that's a very conservative calculation. So it's, it's not going to, you know, double their revenue overnight. But I think with search, by adding search as another user acquisition channel, they could get substantial revenue. And um, the big kind of uh, question there is, actually, there are two big questions in room. The, number one is, can they change our pricing model to an additional subscription tier where you basically pay a fixed um, amount every sum, uh, sorry, every a fixed sum every month? And uh, then get access to all the audiobooks, which would be a killer feature. I don't think anybody else really has. And uh, number two, can they attract new or net new subscribers through audiobooks that are not customers of music streaming or podcasting yet, right? So can they add, can they increase their customer lifetime value through audiobooks by bringing in new people who will then also listen to podcasts and listen to music streaming? I think those are the two wild cards. Um, when it comes to SEO as a user acquisition channel. I think the thing that, you know, because I, I got the ad for audiobooks when it first came out, and my first response, and I don't know if this was, if you feel the same way about this, but like, is it Spotify's place to play in the audiobook space, right? You know, when it comes to Audible right now, they were the category creator. They were the first, you know, not category creator, obviously, but they had first mover advantage when it came to books on tape over to the internet. And the question is, it's kind of like, you know, it's when I look at Facebook doing their own version of TikTok, right? And YouTube doing their own version of TikTok and LinkedIn doing their own version of TikTok is like, is this really their space to do that? And the, the second to, that is to, to answer the question, or at least the question to reply to the question is, can they attract new users that way? And that's just one that I, I, I genuinely wondered about when I saw it the first time out of the gate. Like, yeah, they could make money doing it, but they're not going to be the one that's top of mind ever. It's such a good push because... So when I looked through uh, some of the audiobooks, uh, I found some authors that I really like. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of, of uh, paper books as well. You know, initially, my first direction was like, okay, they're just trying to find something else that is also audio and that has a respectable, yeah, tam respectable, totally addressable uh, market or totally addressable market. Try to monetize it in some way. Um, and the interesting thing is that there might be some carryover between audiobooks and podcasts. Uh, one of yeah. my favorite authors, for example, is Malcolm Gladwell. And uh, yep. he obviously wrote a lot of books, which are available as audiobooks, but he also has a really, really good podcast. And so there might be strategic opportunities, whether it is like a, a singular offering, right? Like subscribe to the podcast, pay a certain you know, amount of money every month, and you also get access to all the audiobooks. That could be one play. Um, and it could also be interesting for the artists or the creators uh, because it grows their audience and it, it might grow their revenue. But uh, I don't think we have a case like that yet. So I think the verdict is yeah. still out. Uh, to to you know to to your point, uh, and this is a bet that is not yet uh, in the books, right? Like this still this is still an open bet, and it's not it's by, it's it's not clear at all yet how this will play out. Right now, they're just copying other offerings. I haven't yet seen this kind of unique spin on it or this 
this uh, this building of a mode that would differentiate their audiobook offering from other platforms. So I think it's it's a very good push. It kind of fits the yeah. vision of becoming the world's creator platform. So it's it's, it's also creator play. But uh, how is that product really differentiated? Well, and that's the thing is Audible also has podcasts on it. So it's like, but top of mind, are you thinking about going to Audible for your podcast because you're going to them for your audiobook? So it's like this interesting who's who's playing after whose model right now. You know what I mean? Like, yes. has anybody validated it to the point of differentiation? So it's like one of those things where I, that, that was just my first response when I when I saw that, because I'm like, it's an interesting bet, but is that going to be the way that, you know, is that what you're known for? Is that your lane, Spotify? You know what I mean? Smart push. I love that. Cool. Uh, tell me, what's your second idea? Well, they already started doing this. I didn't realize that when I started, when I proposed it the first time, but um, I want to see them become first party uh, ticketing. So they started back in 2018, actually, with their fans first uh, program where they would uh, allow fans to pre-book tickets through them and then they could get the tickets that way. And they still have, they just started a, a bigger version of this uh, pilot that came out in August, whereas, you know, pre-buying tickets, um, it's still a very limited release. But when they did it back in 2018, it actually did $40 million uh, with a very limited group of people. And I think that um, if they're able to in uh, last time we spoke, I was actually just came off of the Gorillaz concert that I had gone to. And something that stood out to me is that the Ticketmaster app, right, has this virtual ticket that you can only, you can't take a screenshot of or anything like that. And I said, how easy would that be to just add as another surface into the Spotify app, right? So I think that if they were to get into first party ticketing, not just for pre-book, not just for, you know, anything else, but go directly after, um, Ticketmaster, they've got another built-in advantage because they have all of the fans and all of the creators in the same space, and it wouldn't be too difficult. And they've done this. Uh, I don't know if they've done it really well, but they've done this where they'll say, hey, this artist is on tour in your area. You've got multiple steps to go through from there, but if you can book directly from the Spotify app, I think that makes a little bit more sense, especially because they already have your credit card on file. You can just boop, okay, yep, and now everything's right there self-contained in the app. Yeah, absolutely. I, f I feel like you're filling actually in the three open slots for bets. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking about you saying I'm trying. <laughs> no, no, you do that very, very well. Uh, but it's a good one. So, so the first one we had uh, was, was basically an independent artist, right? We're, we're building a, a home for independent artists. Now the second one is, is concerting. And I, I love the idea of first-party ticketing because it could also mean first-party rights when it comes to streaming concerts. So it could even, you know, besides just like, like buying a ticket for the concert, that could actually mean two things. It could mean live streaming, or it could mean actually going yeah. to the concert with a, a, a ticket issued by Spotify itself. Yeah, I haven't even considered live streaming, and that's that's taking off right now too, so that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, th I think it's a really smart uh, bet that they... I would, I would be shocked if they don't go into that. And to be fair, I don't know all the, um, the licensing hurdles and if labels you know might also take a cut out of concerts or not and, and what that looks like but for example the, the idea of being able to to watch a live stream concert of one of my favorite artists exclusively or for an additional price is very very attractive especially if it was you know something that you can only get through spotify so i think that exclusivity 
is a massive um, USP. And I wonder what the obstacles could be when it comes to to offline concerts and issuing tickets there. And I'm, to be honest, I'm, I'm not super familiar with what that looks like and if there are any, you know, like what the deal landscape looks like. But to your point, you could even merge that with the first idea you had, which is about indie artists. So if independent artists want, would want to give a concert, you know, they could do that all the way through Spotify, including having their own home on Spotify too. Yeah, and I love the, I, I mean, again, I love the idea of the live stream and it gives me this like, it makes me think that like there's an opportunity um, to do only virtual concerts too for you know the bands who are in the middle of nowhere. There's no way that they still want to put on a show because they still have fans, right? And maybe you get backstage passes if you're part of the cre- if you're part of the Patreon style program and stuff like that. So yeah, I think there's there's a lot of opportunity there. What was one? What was one of your other ones? Yeah. So so my second idea was uh, actually radio stations uh, on Spotify. Okay. Uh, so radio is interesting. Um, as you know, as I'm 35, right? I'm a I'm a millennial, yeah. and uh, I don't listen to the radio. But I I think you know that's yeah. that's not true for everyone. In fact, uh, I did some research, and uh, even though the number of radio listeners is going down, 83% of Americans over the age of 12 actually still listen to the radio once a week. That's that blew my mind, right? So most people actually out there still listen to the radio, and I think you know part of that is not just that I'm a millennial, but I'm also working from home, so I'm not driving anywhere. Um, and if I reflect, whenever I do drive, I actually do turn on the radio a lot of times. So I think radio is one of these things that are still that are that are shrinking, but are still very impactful. And I also don't think that radio and podcasting are the same thing. I think they're often for for, for the younger generation, they might be it might be very similar. But there is still there's still a lot of people out there for who radio is something very different than podcasting. They might not even listen to podcasts; they only listen to radio. So yep. I think that's a massive opportunity to bring another format onto Spotify. It's going to be interesting how that plays out when you know you bring local stations on the same platform as uh, um, you know uh, national stations, and uh, they compete with similar offerings. And, and you know, especially in terms of news, I wonder is there a big overlap and how would that play out? Uh, but it might be a massive advertising opportunity. If you subscribe to a local radio station, that says a lot about who you are and where you live, right? So mm-hmm. I, if I subscribe to a radio station here in Chicago, um, that is an important signal to advertisers because it will tell them, hey, I can now address Chicago listeners. Spotify does not have to figure that out through, you know, through my IP, for example, or through something else. They can just identify that based on what radio stations I subscribe to. Because podcasts typically aren't local. Most, some of them are, right? But the majority is not. That could improve the ad quality and the returns for advertisers. It could, it could mean that, you know, Spotify becomes a viable advertising platform for the restaurant down the street. Because they know if I subscribe to a Chicago radio station, I'm in Chicago, it might make sense to run ads there. I could even see some sort of life interaction between radio hosts on the, and the audience, especially when people are on the mobile app. Uh, or even on the on the you know desktop app for for you know to the point, but especially on mobile, I could see live reactions like thumbs up, hearts, or you know sad emojis or whatever, similar to social platforms, which will make the experience for the host better as well because they can have some live interaction. It might even be a, a an opportunity to to have a live chat or a live call in function, right? Like you, you might, you remember, yeah. you know, like call in or this number, blah, 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 blah. And we have a live conversation. That might be so much easier, easier through Spotify and because you can pre-qualify the people who call in and you can 
can uh, you know really understand where people call in, what they call in for, and just drive engage- engagement up to the roof. So radio and Spotify, uh, not some that I intuitively uh, would would pick, but the more I think about it, the more of a fan I become of that idea. Well, no, and I mean it's validated through iHeartRadio, right? Like that is that's iHeartRadio, and they'd be taking a piece of iHeartRadio's lunch. But what I think is great about what you're what you're putting out there is again it comes back to that live interactivity element of it where you know uh and and let me just take a step back here for a second too there's something very different about radio and podcast you're right and i would never listen to a morning show outside of the context of my drive into the office i would never listen to that as a podcast but it is highly entertaining on the drive in so there's something there's something to take there. And then that interactivity from the live element of it uh, is something that you could only do through call-ins right now. But when you lower the friction, you can, they can address so many more things just from a, from a less time constraint, really, of even answering the phone and having somebody come on the air. So I think that's cool. I think that's really cool. 100%. 100%. Cool. Uh, final round, Tommy. What's your number three? Uh, I was going to say something to the effect of in... Uh, in-person events um, and more geolocation-related uh, stuff, but then I just I changed my mind. I changed my mind right before we got on here, and I think that if they were to take uh, a completely different route of buying up real estate in all sorts of different places to create their own venues, you have this model where now in those places in the middle of nowhere. Right now, there's a place that they can have a venue and you have in the bigger cities, you have bigger venues and you can have smaller venues and they're all owned by Spotify. And the reason I say that, right, is not just because I think it would be cool to have, you know, a Spotify countrywide tour or whatever, if you go from venue to venue, I think that would be cool. But I think it also hedges Spotify's bets against the market in general. Right, because now you're operating more of on like a McDonald's model where they own the land, they own the property, and then you know, whoever it is that's operating it's really just kind of leasing it. But they're the ones who sort of have this network of real estate properties that they can turn into all sorts of different venues, like you know, House of Blues, right, or something along those lines, where now you've got your own network of places where you can set up. And within some of these places, maybe it's not even just. Uh, music venues, but also creator spaces, right? We saw this at Shopify. Shopify created their own creator spaces in the major cities, and I think that did really well for them. Um, I don't know the numbers. I wasn't there, obviously, behind the scenes, but like, I think that did really well both for them in the community, and I think it plays into one of the things that you were talking about, too, which is giving people the opportunity to uh, do things that they wouldn't normally have access to do. So... That would be my next bet is let's get a, a, a physical network of places that we can either have shows or create. I applaud you for using the name Shopify uh, in the right context for the first time in this podcast <laughs> because I slipped into the, <laughs> to the Spotify <laughs> Shopify trap a couple of times earlier. So uh, Shopify. Shopify, yeah. Uh, so congrats for that. Uh, but in all seriousness, um, I, I, what I really like about this idea is that you're moving down the value chain on the, on the creation side. So Spotify is a marketplace between advertisers and artists and uh subscribers and or listeners and part of that you know part of the growth opportunities are often within making it easier for content to be created 
right? Google does that right now in a way where they basically make it much easier for you to create ads, especially on the creative side with machine learning. And the equivalent to that could be to just make it so much easier for artists or creators on Spotify to record the music or throw a really cool concert, right? So I, I love that idea of maybe buying up a couple of locations, uh, streamlining the production process and basically making it available for so many more artists to, to record really good concerts and just create a lot more content, right? At the end of the day, you cannot, at least yet, replace the creative process of coming up, of coming up with new songs and writing music or podcasts, but you can make the infrastructural um, hurdles so much easier to overcome. And that could be incredibly powerful. I'm surprised they haven't done it yet, to be honest with you. Like it just as we're talking about this now, it just occurred to me that MySpace opened up a music label, MySpace Music, years ago, right? They had the whole music concert and everything. Why don't they have that? Why don't they have not just the creative space, but maybe their own label, right? Yes. Is there an opportunity there to like some of those really good, you know, can they act as their own talent scouts for these creators that have a really good signal, but then no, you know, nothing to amplify it with or very few resources to amplify it with. I think there's a lot of opportunity just within their own ecosystem. And then they get to do something like Netflix or Amazon or Disney Plus or whatever, and they can say, these are Spotify exclusive artists, right? That, and then you can just start to drive more people to the platform. I, I don't know what, what it looks like beyond that, but I think, yeah, physical spaces and even their own record label or talent agency of some sort, I think would be key. <laughs> Chef's kiss. Beautiful. I, I love that yeah. also because it's a, a great bridge to my third idea, which was podcast as a service. Um, and it, it's, it's really what you're saying there, right? I think, uh, so, so we're seeing more and more podcast networks. Actually, uh, HubSpot, I think, does a phenomenal job with that. They have many, I think, over 20 podcasts right now on the network. Just recently added Jay Klaus's, uh, what's it called, uh, Creator Science, uh, I think, or, or something like that. Anyway, a uh, very successful podcast. And so it goes to a point beyond just creating networks of podcasts, but also finding talented podcasters, really going out there and scouting yeah and helping them with the structure, the details, the distribution, the hurdles to podcasting are lower and lower every year, but there's still, there's still a certain, you know, um, hesitation that many people have, even though they might be brilliant or very talented to just try out, uh, creating a podcast, what, what that could look like. And so I totally agree with you. I, I think Spotify would do well to create some sort of an incubator or an accelerator for podcasts where they, they source new talents, they give them all the tools that they need. And then they give the best one of them maybe some sort of a deal. And uh, Substack actually does that, right? Substack has paid a bunch of writers um, a, a huge advance in some parts to create exclusive content for Substack. And I think Spotify could do the same thing. I think one of the biggest hurdles is that they might appear and maybe are a competitor to music labels. And those music labels might have a, a thing or two to say about that. And so I wonder what an elegant workaround could be. However, Spotify is an aggregator. And one of the typical characteristics of an aggregator is that they have incredible market power over supply because they capture all the demand. And so I could see that at some point, Spotify has so much demand that they're able to flip the script and actually dictate the terms to music labels because it's going to be very hard for music labels to find an alternative. 
And that's only going to be possible if there are no great alternatives, right? If the Apple Musics and the Audibles uh, or the Amazon Musics of the world cannot provide that same sort of demand. So it's a, it's a tricky one. However, I think, you know, we both sort of uh, thought about the same uh, lines when it comes to our, came out to our last idea of like, okay, how can we, can we go for, how can we go further down the value chain and just make yeah. it so much easier for new artists and new content to come on the platform? Well, and I can say too, like as somebody who's recently started getting into like the live streaming, podcasting, like all of this sort of realm is the biggest challenge, especially when you know you're onto something, is the infrastructure. Like the biggest challenge we have is making sure that everything is produced and released on time and, and all of this other stuff. And if there was, you know, I love the idea of an incubator. I think the incubator is awesome because then, yeah, you, you have pilot season, right? Amazon does this. You have pilot season, whichever one's hit, then you start to, you know, double down on those. And now your creators can focus on creating. And then the people who didn't make it, maybe they try again, they still have access to the platform, but you know, maybe they just don't have the same amount of help. From an algorithmic perspective, it only seems to make sense that it wouldn't take too much to have your own talent scout. If people can do this manually, right? People have been doing it manually for years. If people can do it manually, if you own the algorithm, you should not have any trouble finding those, like, you know, just those, those signals that say, hey, this is something that's doing really well. Even if it's just the amount of time that they're listening I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but I think it's, uh, I think the incubator and the scouting out, I think that's just one of their major massive opportunities here. And it keeps them in their lane. Right. Right. Like that's the, that's the thing is like, I don't want to say like stay in your lane, Spotify, but it keeps them in their lane. They're not trying to compete with YouTube. They're not trying to compete with anybody else. They're still very much in their core realm of what they're known for. And they're just adding into that. I think they actually have a brilliant thought there, which is, that for the longest time, the way that labels would discover new artists was through A&Rs, basically talent scouts, going out and, and, and talking to artists. And that was a very subjective process, right? It was basically saying, hey, look, I think you're good. You can make it. And then providing massive funding to artists and marketing, which sometimes could become a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Sometimes maybe the music wasn't as good, but it was maybe sticky or uh, good enough to attract large audiences with enough marketing and, and distribution. And then the counter model to that is basically Justin Bieber, who came up through YouTube and basically had yep. a strong audience before being signed and being popular. And that's something that Spotify could tap into by saying, listen, what if we A-B test artists, right? Like, what if we give them... You know, of course, there must be some sort of a filter or selection criteria. But what if it's the next step? We just show their music to, I don't know, maybe 50,000 or 100,000 listeners. We see how they react, how long they listen to the music. And that will decide whether we'll fund you and give you more exposure and, and sign you on to the Spotify label and, you know, give you access to our infrastructure for concerts. And you basically de-risk artist selection. You have fewer, uh, quote-unquote, failures. Uh, or artists who just don't work out or are not good enough. And on the other hand, you increase your chance to discover the next Justin Bieber and have them sign exclusively to your platform from the beginning and give them massive access and reach right away. So I think, I think your point is actually brilliant. And, and Spotify might be one of the few platforms that can actually pull that off. I mean, if they did that, they'd be taking a page out of like the HBO or the Netflix. Netflix's biggest form of advertisement is itself. 
right? I was, I had Rand Fishkin on my show not too, too long ago. And that was one of the things that he mentioned is he's like, you want to get a Netflix show to be successful. You put it on the front page of Netflix so everybody can see it, you know? And that's the same thing with however many you, you can data match my viewer listening profiles and do exactly what you're saying. You split test it. I put a new person in front of you and that sounds good. And if they do well, they breach a certain threshold. That's it. Then the next big thing. You know, there's a beautiful and beautiful tie uh, to, or a beautiful bow, better said, to how we started the conversation, which was with uh, surfaces, right? In the very beginning, we thought about yeah. surfaces. We transitioned over to Google surface, surfaces and uh, basically outlined a couple of good ideas. So I, I think we, we have something like really good here. When I think about the next three big bets for Spotify, I think there's a lot to pick. Uh, some of the best ones we had here, just, just quickly summarize that, was uh, independent artists basically providing a, a pa Patreon equivalent uh, on Spotify, uh, concerts and live streaming, uh, radio, and then uh, incubating artists more uh, or earlier in the value creation process by providing them access to exclusive infrastructure or by helping with the successful artist selection very early on in the process. So I think we have, we have actually more than three bets here, uh, and I'm sure that at least one of them I'd be shocked if not at least one of them will work out. Well, and if you're listening, anybody from Spotify, uh, happy to take you on as a consultant client. We can figure this all out together <laughs> uh, and we'll, we'll work on the logistics and how that would all work. So <laughs> we'll take a cut of the revenue share. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just 1%, just something small, 1% in case it doesn't work. Right, right. Uh, love it, love it. Hey, this is beautiful. Uh, Tommy, thanks so much for coming on co-creating with me. Uh, thanks for bringing some absolutely brilliant ideas to the table. It was a pleasure to have you. It was a pleasure being on here. Thank you. Before I let you go, uh, where's the best place that people can find you? Thecontentstudio.com. And if you want to check me out on YouTube, uh, we've got a show called The Cutting Room, where we talk to industry-leading marketing professionals about their content marketing philosophy, process, and pregame before they edit an article live. Their pitch is over. Um, but yeah, that's what that is. And of course, we'll link to all of that in the show notes. Mr. Toby Walker, thanks so much for coming on. You have a pleasant day, uh, and I hope we'll do a round two someday. Awesome. Thanks so much, Gavin. Cheers.